Welcome back to the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. My name is Farhan, also known as Gunner since 96. And I'm not joined by James. That's right. Um, once again, um, unfortunately, James is not going to be on this episode with us because he is ill. He's suffering from a very, very bad cough, which has lasted almost a week. So, um, you know, our thoughts are with you, James. Hopefully your voice recovers because this podcast isn't the same without you, buddy. Um, so, Thoughts go out with James, but, but, but there is good news, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we've got a, we've got a special guest. We've got a special guest in the building. It's not very uh, many times that we're blessed to have guests, but when we do, we take advantage of it. And so, um, it, 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 you know, it gives me uh, a tremendous amount of pleasure to say that we've got Harry Simu. Please say I haven't murdered your last name because I know... Um, you Greeks are very, very particular when it comes to pronunciation. So Harry Simiou, is that right? You've actually got it spot on and you're one of the few people that has. So hats off to you, man. Well done. Thank you. I was very worried. I was thinking, you know, before you came on, I was, I was even practicing it to myself. Like, you know, hopefully I don't, you know, get this wrong. Um, Harry, thank you very much for coming on. I know this, it's been back and forth for a while now. I've been wanting to get you on for a while, but we finally made it happen. Thank you for... Um, taking some time out to join us here to, uh, tonight it is tonight yes it's after six o'clock <laughs> <laughs> no the pleasure is all mine mate it's uh, as you say we've been going back and forth for a little while yeah. um just it, this is the thing with this kind of job you just don't know when stuff's gonna come up and sometimes you can have plans in the diary and then they go out the window so yeah delighted that we finally got around to doing it and it's a pleasure to be here absolutely um for those of you that don't know who harry is um well, he's been around the block. I mean, Harry, you have got a decorated um, CV for, you know, for what you've been doing. You've been doing this. Um, you've been in the football industry for quite a while now. Um, you're obviously the creator of the Chronicles of Aguna. Um, not only are you uh, a presenter, um, not only are you an analyst, not only are you a commentator, but you're a writer as well. Um, so you've done it all. You featured on the 90 Minutes Football. You featured on Talk Sport. You featured on Five Live. Um, you've been doing it for a while. So um, it, I, I don't usually do this. I mean, I think I've already introduced you, but do you want to give the audience, uh, the listeners, a little bit of an introduction as to you know, who you are, um, what you've been doing, and you know what, what how it is that you you got yourself into um, the Arsenal comment, commentary kind of field? Yeah, sure. So um, I've been an Arsenal fan since I was a little kid. It's it's all I've ever cared about. It's uh, my kind of number one passion. And uh, to be honest with you, I was in a, a dead end. I'm not going to say it was a dead end job. It wasn't a dead end job. It was a job in which you could have progressed if you wanted to. But I quickly kind of realized over the last few years that it wasn't really what I wanted to do. And you can only get to a certain point in doing something when you don't really have it in your heart. And I got to that point. Um, I was doing blogs, I was uh, recording podcasts, I was doing all kinds of things um, sort of on the side of my job, which was in banking. But then it got to the point where 
I came to a bit of a crossroads really. It was like, do I carry on in the banking industry or do I try and do something that I really want to do? And it was a really tough decision at the time because I've got a young family, I've got a mortgage and, you know, those are the kind of things that put you off taking a massive risk like that. But I've been really lucky um, to have had some great opportunities. As you mentioned, some of the places that I've I've sort of featured on, Um, I'm a commentator on the Premier League uh, out for a company in the United States as well. And and you mentioned the writing there. Uh, I had a book published a few years back. I think it was the last year that Wenger was in charge. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I've been really lucky that like, sort of people have, have received the work well and um, met some great people along the way who've given me some incredible opportunities. And here I am now doing this full time and <laughs> for my sins, I'm doing it full time. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, that you made a very good decision for us, for all Arsenal fans listening, because, you know, you do some incredible work, um, especially, you know, with the Chronicles of Guna, um, your your YouTube channel as well. And um, you were on TalkSport today as well, weren't you, talking about um, Arsenal and um you know all the madness that's going on in the transfer window so it'll be good to get get your intake and in, on, on all that kind of stuff um on this episode so let's get straight into it let's talk about arsenal we're both massive arsenal fans um i myself grew up right by the emirates i used to go running there um on a daily basis it was that's how close it was and the steady decline that we've been on has got us to this point where um, it is sort of make or break in this transfer window. I mean, how how do you see it? I see the transfer window as a far more complicated thing than most fans would, would admit. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we're at a point now where obviously the club took that decision around about a year and a half ago to appoint Mikel Arteta as the manager. But I think in doing so, they knew full well that this was going to be a long-term project. They knew that this wasn't going to bring instant success. And I think there was a recognition in within the Arsenal hierarchy that actually for the football club to move forward, everything had to almost be ripped out and, and built again. Um, you know, we've talked for years and years, haven't we, about dead wood in terms of the playing yeah. staff. And what a lot of people seem to struggle to, to get their heads around, and it baffles me, is the fact that these players are dead wood because they're dead wood. And that means that nobody wants them and nobody mm. wants to sign them. And I, you know, I saw some uh, predictions from, from a few people sort of on, on social media in the lead up to the transfer window, talking about what we might raise as a football club from, from potential sales this summer. Mm. And honestly, I, I don't know where people were getting those figures from. I think, as I've said, they're players that people don't want. And you've also got to factor in that we're in the middle or coming towards the end of hopefully a global pandemic that has had a huge impact on the finances within football, more so on the clubs overseas, which is where a lot of these players would potentially end up. Yeah. So when I'm when, when I'm sitting here and hearing that nobody wants to pay twenty million pounds, for example, for Hector Bellerin, and that Roma don't want to pay full whack for Granite Xhaka, and that Matteo Genduzzi only went for about eight million pounds, I'm not surprised by that. And I find it difficult to get my head around the fact that so many others are. It's the job that Mikel Arteta and Arsenal have to do is a massive one. And yes, recruitment is important in terms of bringing players in, but also we've got to get these players out and we've got to create space in the squad for them. We've got to create space on the wage bills uh, for them. And it does feel like a bit of a make or break window, but maybe it shouldn't be, you know, maybe we should be looking at bringing in three or four players who are going to enhance the team 
and, and take us up to another level and then work on another three, four positions later on. The problem is that when you're a club as big as Arsenal, nobody seems to have that level of patience. Nobody's willing to wait. And you saw that last season, you know, Mikel Arteta's first full season in charge didn't go to plan, obviously, yeah. but sort of there were so many calling for his head uh, towards the end of it. And especially after the Europa League exit, even myself, I had a bit of a wobble yeah. um, at that point. But it's a massive, massive job. It is make or break, but you can only do as much as your ownership will allow you to do. If you don't have the funds to go and rebuild a whole team in one window, then it is going to be a process and it is going to take time. You know, we talk a lot about Ben White coming in 50 million pounds. Great. But Arsenal can't go and sign five or six 50 million pound players in a summer transfer window. And, and that's why this rebuild is a process and it is going to take a period of time. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um, it is a very, very complicated um, project that Arteta has invested in. And, you know, hats off to him for doing that, because I think wh whoever was going to come in after Unai had a hell of a job. Um, now, you know, you might make the argument that maybe we should have brought in someone more experienced, someone who could steady the ship before we got in, uh, so, you know, someone with a long-term project. Um, but I think the club have, have you know, done something quite positive here in the sense that they've um, stuck to their guns. They've said, you know, we are going to go down this route that we haven't been down before. Um, well, not since 96. And we are going to have a real crack at it. Um, and, you know, it's very unlike the Arsenal board to um, stick with something for a prolonged period of time. Um, and I say that, you know, having, having seen the decline and some of the decisions being made like um investing in some of the you know players at the latter end of their careers players like Mkhitaryan Socrates um and maybe perhaps not focusing on bringing in your Tavarages and your Lakongas like they're doing now um so in terms of the hierarchy the board aside from the recruitment of players um do you think that there needs to be a more centralized um, backroom board organization? I don't know if I'm making sense, but we've got the Amazon documentary coming out next season. So we're going to be very well clued in as to what goes on in the background. Um, and from, 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 this, from where we stand now, I get the impression that it's Arteta, Edu, and... Um, well, Arteta and Edu, who who are in the hot seat making all the big decisions. Where are the other big players? Well, they, like Vinay, for instance. Those guys, they're not football guys, though. You know, like mm. I wouldn't want Vinay making decisions on on footballing matters just because it's not his background. You know, he's a. But he's what's a, the, what is the structure of Arsenal? Because as a, I mean, you look at other clubs, you you know very well the direction that they're going in, the five to ten year plans that they have. You look at Arsenal, and you almost a little bit of a, uh, you know, it seems a bit a bit confusing as to what the what the approach is, um, what kind of route we're going down, what the long term plan is, um, what is the main ethos. Do, do you know what I mean? In terms of what what the ethos is, in terms of what is the plan and and how is it working, is that what you, is that what you you're asking? Yeah, I, I mean, kind of. I mean, look, the big problem that we have is that there is no, we don't know who the owner is. 
Um, I mean, yeah, on, on, on paper it's Stan, but um, Stan's then passed it down to Josh, who now takes, I guess, full responsibility for the day-to-day runnings of what happens. And I guess he's there to make sure that, you know, people have been put in the right place to to, to, to make this uh, ship sail. Um, but even, even pointing um, a finger at who the owner is, it seems to be a bit confusing. Do we need to... Is Arsenal as a, as a business... Are they structured well enough for us to start looking or move on to look at things like player recruitment? Because it seems as if it doesn't matter who we bring in, um, the mere fact that we don't have the right people in place, you know, in the boardroom or um, in the background, that seems to be the bigger problem. Yeah, maybe. Um, it is. It has been a problem. Uh, in in years gone by, but I also think that it's really hard to look at these guys and, and say that they've done a bad job if you don't give them a chance to do it. Um, I think with somebody like like Mikel Arteta, he's obviously got a real big influence in in the kind of recruitment process as well, which a lot of managers don't have. Unai Emery, remember, was never given that kind of free reign. Uh, to get involved with that side of things. So he is working in partnership with Edu. Richard Garlick has come into the club as well in order to kind of help with some of the contractual stuff and and all that sort of thing. So it's it's very hard for me to say that this model is not right when we haven't given it a chance yet. It's not been very long that Mikel yeah. Arteta has been the manager, not the head coach, the manager, and that Edu and him have been working so closely together. And I have to say that I think what they've done so far in terms of the transfer market has not actually been very bad. Like, you know, there's been a couple of anomalies in there. The Willian signing is one that winds mm. a lot of people up, and I agree that that hasn't gone to plan. But I think in general, when we, it goes back to what we were saying before, when you're trying to turn a, a club around and you're trying to turn their fortunes around and you're trying to rebuild it from from basically scratch again, then you've got to give them time. And I don't think it's fair to say one way or the other. So it's not me defending them. I don't know. I, I just can't say one way or the other right now, 100%, if they are the right people. I think this season is massive. I think this season will give us an indication of at least if we're moving in the right direction. And if it does seem that we're going that way, then they'll buy themselves time. If it doesn't, um, then, you know, the, the fans are going to be calling for change and, and we may well see that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a very risky approach um that the board have, have decided to go um for, but um I'm all for it, man. I, I think you know, with Arteta in charge, you, you can clearly see that there is football prowess and there is real intelligence behind the man. He clearly knows um football and how it should be played because we saw some really nice examples of that last season, and even during you know preseason. I'm sure we'll come to that um, very soon. But even during the preseason friendlies, we've seen some idea of what he wants to start implementing going forward uh, in in the coming season, which is only two weeks away, by the way, as well. It's you know, it's it's come f- flying back around again. Um, but let, let's talk about a lack of. Let's talk about the departures. Um, you touched on how difficult it is to get rid of this long list of deadwood that we have, quote unquote, deadwood. And I think one of the things that, you know, Arteta and Edu need to be given credit for is how well they did with removing the deadwood in January. Um, that's one of the things that fans were banging on about 
before the window even opened was how important it was to get rid of players before we can start bringing players in. Um, and I guess it sort of backfired because of the lack of depth that we had. Um, had we had, a, for example, a backup left back, then maybe we would have progressed into the Europa League finals and, and maybe won it. Um, but it was a massive, massive task that Edu and Arteta decided to take on and they did it really well by getting rid of a number of players, um, some of which have returned. But how realistic or how important do you think it is that the club focus on moving players on before we start bringing players in? Or is it the fact that we, if we're unable to move these players on, we keep them on the books and we try and utilise them as much as possible? And I think of players like Kolasinac, um, players like him come to come to my head straight away. Players who are a massive, uh, maybe to say a massive liability is unfair. I mean, he has good games. He had bad. He has bad games. But I don't want to rely on Kalasenac playing left back in the Premier League um, against anyone because I know what kind of errors are in his game. Um, but players like him, what, what do we do with these guys if we're unable to get rid of them? It's, it's, it's a balancing act, isn't it? Because you want to keep them, but you also, you want to keep them if you think that you can get something out of them, but also you're kind of prioritising moving them on. It's really hard to strike that right balance. And Arsenal have, have found it really difficult to do that. The thing with someone like, say, Kalasinac is, yes, he probably needs to move on, but his, his contract ends at the end of this upcoming season. I don't see a future for him at the club, but we could have really done with him last season, couldn't we? Yeah. We went through that period without a left-back. So, you, you can try and move players on and you can work towards the rebuild, but there's always a danger when you go too hard on the rebuild and too hard on the kind of cleaning out that you can leave yourself short. And that's exactly what Arsenal done last season. I mean, I don't know about you, but I thought the fact that we did uh, play without a left back towards the back end of the season, had to move Granite Xhaka there. Um, you know, I thought that really negatively impacted us. And so I think yeah. in hindsight, you've got to say that Mikel Arteta made a mistake on that one because mm. Granit, uh, sorry, Ser Kalasinac is not the greatest left back in the world, but he is a left back. Mm. And I think that not only did we end up playing with somebody who was playing out of position, but it also took away from another area of our team in the midfield, which was for me, the most important area. And Granit Xhaka, people don't like this, but I think he was one of the most important players yeah, last season. And to take him out of the midfield and then play him in a position that he's completely unfamiliar towards, it's just, it, it didn't work. And that doesn't happen if you're a little bit more measured in the way that you go about this clearing out. And, and that's where Arsenal have struggled to find the balance, is where Arsenal have struggled to find the right mix. And, um, you know, some will argue it's the only way it can be done and you've got to be ruthless. And I get that. You've also got to be careful you don't cut your nose off to spite your face. And I do think Arteta did that a few times last season. Mm, yeah, very, very um walking on the on the on the knife edge, as they say. Um, but realistically, we're two weeks away from the opening game at Brentford. Realistically, how many players do you see leaving? How many players do you see Arsenal getting off their books, selling them on a permanent Deal. Have we? I don't think we have uh, got got rid of anyone on a permanent. I mean, there was um, oh, who's the young centre back Greek as well, Mavropanos. Mavropanos yeah. has gone on, gone on loan, but it, it is on a deal that it's it's on a um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, he's he's basically going with an option for that's it, that's to it. buy him, but it it's, is basically it's an obligatory him. one, isn't it? Yeah. So the, so as long as they stay up, he will be sold for. 
Um, I don't know, stupid fee. Um, in my opinion, anyway, I feel like we could have got a lot more out of that. But um, Mavropanos is the only really guaranteed one. And Gwendouzi, isn't it? Is, was there a, a clause on in the deal that they have an obligation? I mean, I think that they have a choice that they can, but it's not one that they have to. It's not one that they have to, but what Arsenal have done is they have inserted a series of... Um, sort of measures that if they're hit those options to buy become obligations to buy and it's it's kind of the measures that they've put into place mean that it's very likely especially in the Mavropanos's case that he will have to join mm. that Stuttgart will have to pay for him and buy him because what they've done is they've said if he makes x amount of appearances or, or whatever I don't know the exact details but I know that they've inserted a number of things in there that will um will uh will turn that from an option into an obligation. And I think that's why Arsenal have agreed to it because mm. it for them, it makes sense. Yeah. So the, those are the players that uh, alongside Saliba as well. And obviously Louise has gone um, on a free, he's decided to leave, but we haven't actually permanently sold anyone for a fee um, of any kind. So the question is in, in the two weeks that we've got between now and the beginning of the, the first game of the season, and actually we've got, a uh, longer period than that because the window doesn't close until uh, I think another month. Um, I yeah, believe. end of August. Yeah, end of August. So how many players do you see Arsenal selling rather than loaning out um, between now and the end of the transfer window? Not very many. Um, I, I think maybe a couple. Um, mm. I think it is largely going to be loan deals with either obligations or options to buy. But I think when we're talking about that and that will be looked on uh, by a lot of Arsenal fans as a failure on the club's part. And, and to a degree, I, I get that, but I think what you've got to do is look around the rest of Europe and look at how everything is going on the continent. And you'll find so many clubs currently doing similar things and doing deals in that sort of way, because it means they're able to kick the can down the road essentially and, and pay for transfers further down the line. And that's just the reality of the situation. COVID has, especially on the continent, really hit clubs badly. There was an announcement the other day that in Italy, they'll only be allowed to have a 33% of the stadiums uh, full, which means obviously reduced attendances, which means further reduced revenue. And you got to think that the, the revenue that these clubs bring in from TV money, whilst it is big money, of course, it is insignificant in comparison to that brought in by the Premier League side. So what you've got is you've got clubs who desperately feel they need to do business, would rather kick it down the road in terms of when they're going to actually make the payment. And so they're dealing with each other with these kind of obligations and options to buy. It's why Juventus, um, you know, had struggled initially to persuade Sassuolo to allow Locatelli to mm. join them because Juve simply can't afford it. And if Juve can't afford it, then uh, there's not much hope for anybody else in Italy. So that's just a sign of how things are. And so whilst I prefer Arsenal to sell a load of these players for sure, I think we have to get used to the idea of them going out on loan and that they may be uh, structured in a kind of unorthodox way, but it is yeah. the only way to move them on. Yeah, and I guess if, if it's the case that we have to keep some of these players, I guess, uh, I, you know, I hope that this doesn't bring a negative sort of impact um, in the training ground. Um, we saw a big transformation of the attitude and the kind of mentality um, after the January window, where we were one of the best sides in the Premier League. We had one of the best forms. Um, and, I, and so I guess you have to balance out 
keeping everyone happy as well. Um, so Arteta is going to have a you know a big job on his hands, having no European football as well to give everyone as much game time as possible, whilst balancing playing the right and the strongest start in eleven. Um, and uh, you know one of the players that we're going to be seeing plenty of next season, I hope, is our new number ten, Emil Smith Rowe. Um, let's quickly chat about the deal and you know signing that long term contract and giving him that number ten. That, that that significant number ten. Um, do you think how old he's nineteen years old? Um, Sack's nineteen years old. Greenwood is about the same age. Sancho, so many young players in England. Foden as well. Um, do you think we're at a, we're at a, a time in England where we look past the age and we give these players this massive pressurizing stress-induced role and responsibility um what whatever happened to easing players in and giving them the right sort of pathway um i mean emil smith had the perfect pathway you know came through the ranks was sent out on loan a couple of times once in germany once in uh at huddersfield in the championship and then finally he got to you know we, we're seeing the best of him um but players coming up from the the youth ranks, players like um, Aziz, who scored against Watford um, just yesterday, I think the game was yeah yesterday. Um, what what do we do, with players like? Because I think we are at a cross crossrail right now, where um, you know fans are almost getting a little bit trigger happy when they see a few performances, um, and we're expecting these guys to just you know get into the first team and get minutes under their belt. Is is it's, it's, you know, you've got to give them a chance, right? You've got to give these players a chance. You've got to give them the opportunity to grow. But again, the, the key word is balance. You've got to balance the, the youth and their enthusiasm that comes from them. Um, and obviously the, the opportunity to kind of use their talent and, and, and grow. But you've also got to make sure that your team is succeeding. And there's a famous old saying, isn't there? You never don't, you, well, you don't win anything with kids. And yeah. I think most of the time that's been proven correct, hasn't it? So I think it's great that we're seeing some of these young players come through. It's great that we're seeing them uh, being given additional responsibility. But someone like Emil Smith-Rowe, I think, you know, when you look at the impact he made when he came into the side midway through last season, when you compare how Arsenal were pre-Smith-Rowe and post-Smith-Rowe, there was a huge difference, wasn't there? Yeah. And I think he's earned the right to, first of all, get a new contract. And that new contract... If you know from what from what I've heard and from what I've been told, obviously the issue wasn't really around the length of the contract because he still had uh, two or three years, I think it was, on his existing deal. What the issue was was that Emil Smith Rowe was not on a salary that reflected his importance to the squad because he'd come in almost from the dark. Uh, he'd been out on loan, hadn't he, a couple of times, and he'd come back to the club. And so now he's an important part of the team. It was it was felt that he deserved to be on a sort of level playing field or a similar playing field to the rest of the first team squad. So that's great that he's been given that. A lot of people have made a big deal about the number 10 shirt thing. And I think, look, it's an iconic shirt number, right? When I think of number 10, I think of Dennis Burkamp. Yeah. And, um, you know, those are massive, massive shoes to fill, aren't they? But what I would say about Emil Smith-Rowe is he is someone I really believe in, in terms of what he can go on and achieve. I think for me, he is... And again, this might be controversial. I think naturally he is more talented than Bukayo Saka. I think he's got uh, 
something more than Saka. I think he's a better decision maker. I think he's mm. technically uh, a little bit more secure. But I do think that Saka's enthusiasm and sort of athleticism obviously sort of levels that out. It's just for me, yes, it's an iconic number. Yes, it adds pressure on him. But this is this is going to make or break him. You know, he's either going to take that shirt on his back and he's going to thrive on it. The responsibility is going to help him, help him push on. And remember, there'll be fans back in the stadium now getting right behind mm. him as well. Uh, so I just think this is going to be um, the the making of a Millsmith. I'm so excited about what the future holds for him. And I'm glad to see Arsenal going down this route now yeah. by blooding these youngsters. Because as I've said before, we don't have the money to go and buy the Erling Haaland's of this world and the you know, the the Rafael Varane's and a lot of people talk about Rafael Varane and say, oh, but he was cheaper than Ben White. No, look at what he's costing them in salary. Yeah. And it's a crazy investment. It's about a 20 mil investment. extra, isn't it? Or something it's like that. nuts. It's absolutely yeah. nuts. Um, yeah, it, you're, you're right. It's around about that mark. So uh, for me, I think Arsenal are going down the right route. We, we're at a place where we can't compete with the big spenders of the game, with the clubs who have got their sugar daddies, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so this is the way to do it. And, I, and I'm proud that my club is doing it in the right way, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is, yeah. I mean, you said it yourself, Arsenal finally doing things, quote unquote, the right way. Um, depends on how you look at the situations. But, you know, I've always associated Arsenal as being the the, the classy, uh, the club that does things the right way, the club that builds superstars, not buys superstars. And I think we are at a stage in time right now, not just Arsenal, but I think every club where it is, it is now an opportunity for clubs to, you know, abandon their transfer policies and focus on their academy, focus on what they have at their disposal and focus on um, nurturing the players with high potential. And, and, you know, one of the teams that comes to my mind is Chelsea. Uh, you think about the season when they were, uh, when they, when the, the, um, when their transfer, um, God, the word is completely left my head ban that's it that's it <laughs> to the transfer ban yeah when they were going through that ban the transfer ban the, the phase that they were with with frank lampard and then they had to rely on um the guys coming from uh the academy you know excelled um above and beyond players like tammy abraham for instance who has now been pushed out um of the equation because of the amount that the ridiculous amount that they've spent um We've been linked with Tammy um, as a future number nine. I guess the club are looking for someone to replace Lacazette. Um, whether he leaves this season or not is something we're yet to see. It's yet to be revealed. Um, what do you think about someone like Tammy Abraham? Um, I, I'm, I'm a fan of Tammy Abraham in the sense of I think he's got a lot of good attributes as a centre forward. I think he could bring something different to Arsenal, something different to what Lacazette and Aubameyang do in the sense of he's a bit of a hybrid between the bo both of them, isn't he? He can run in behind, but he's also got that ability to drop that little bit deeper, get involved in play. And given his sort of size and stature, he can be an aerial threat as well. So I think actually he is more the kind of striker that Mikel Arteta probably wants in that side. But I'm, I don't know about £40 million pounds for him. Yeah. And... You know, it, it's one of those where I like his attributes and I like what he can bring to the table, but I'm not at the point where I'm convinced he can deliver regularly at the highest level for a club like Arsenal where the demand is really there. And I know he had a good season, didn't he, the season before last with Chelsea? Mm. Mm. And, and people were like, well, 
Tammy is, is, is ready now. You know, he's stepping up to that next level. But I just think for forty million pounds, it's an awfully big gamble to take. I think a lot of Arsenal fans as well were probably put off by the fact that we've been burnt by signing ex-Chelsea players in the past. Yeah, you know. But the difference with this one is you'd be signing someone kind of in his younger years who's still got it all to prove. And you know, for all the players that that Chelsea have sold on that have been duds, they've been Kevin De Bruyne, there's been Mo Salah players that mm. they probably gave up on a little bit too soon who then went on to have a really good career. So I'm, I'm a little bit on the fence about this one. I like what he brings. I like what he is. I like his enthusiasm. Um, he fits into what we're doing right now in terms of the age profile and things like that. It's got Premier League experience as well. But I just, for me, I, I can't get away from the price tag and it just feels a little yeah. bit excessive. Yeah, and look, there's plenty of other options as well. Um, options that, you know, we heard a very long time ago, but, you know, I don't think we've been linked to many number nines. Um, but anyway, we'll get back to, you know, potential transfers and, and players that have been recruited in and players that are yet to come in as well. Let's talk about the Watford game. Um, and the one before that was Millwall, wasn't it? Yeah. So the one game that I missed, I mean, this is unbelievable. Typical Arsenal, right? They take my money. <laughs> they take my seven ninety nine, um, because initially when they said uh, before these friendlies even started, I got sent the email with the code, uh, you know the code that you enter and then you get the games for free. Yeah. So I entered it in. Uh, happy days. Going in to log in a minute before the Hibernian game. Oh, what do I find out? I need to pay for whatever reason. So I ended up paying anyway. And um, the day of the Millwall game, they sent me an email, which I didn't check. Um, but I had no idea that we were playing Millwall. So I completely missed that game. I did end up watching the highlights. But um, did you watch the Watford game yesterday? Yeah, I did. Yeah. And in that issue you mentioned about the um, the logging in, you weren't the only one. I know so many people really that had that problem because I did mine. I logged in and got mine working um, ahead of the Hibs game. And then my dad wanted to do it. And my dad is not very computer literate. And he yeah, called me yeah. up and he said, can you log on and just do it for me? And then I'll I'll sign on and watch it. And I said, yeah, no problem. And when I went on, it was telling me that his code had already been used. And I sat on the phone to Arsenal for a good half an hour uh, to get them to give me another code. So it, it was an issue that a lot of people had, I think. Yeah. I think but, to, yeah. to, to make fans watch preseason friendlies alone is just absurd. I cannot believe Arsenal, and it's typical stand at the end of the day, so I don't really expect anything less. But um, let's talk about Watford. Um, the game yesterday, Arsenal ended up winning 4-1, and they, they showed the game uh, after it was played. They they pre-recorded it, and um, they gave us sort of like a, a almost like a live stream of what happened uh, a couple hours before. Um, let's talk about two both halves um, separately, starting off with the first half. I'll, I'll I'll give my first initial thoughts, and um, I guess you can you can tell me if I'm if I'm uh, how accurate mine is compared to your one. Um, I felt like the first twenty odd minutes, or the 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 was it what, what minutes did you score? I think it was the twenty second minute or something like that. Anyway, fifteenth, no, I think I got. I was doing something on this earlier on. Yeah, 15th minute we opened the screen. Okay, so it was about the first 12 to 15 minutes. I think Arsenal were quite slow to start. Um, Watford looked like they had more intensity going forward, uh, pressurising the back four a lot more. But then after we got the first goal, we started to play our football a little bit better. Um, And then again, it started to slow down. Um, And I think we, we showed this kind of, um, trajectory last season as well where we're very slow starting up 
And eventually when we start, when we score, you know, things start to pick up again, but then it drops. Um, how, how, do you, how would you sort of describe that first half? Um, yeah, I think you're quite accurate in that. It wasn't amazing, was it? It was a bit like, I, I think for me, when I watch these kind of games, I'm, I'm just looking at, I'm just looking at fitness. I'm just looking at sharpness. I'm looking at the odd player here and there that I maybe wouldn't get a chance to really have a good look at during the the normal season. And that's it for me. I don't really read into it that much. I think what you're going to see now, I think the next couple of weeks when Arsenal have got, you know, we've got Chelsea on Sunday and then we've got the games against the, the game against Spurs. I think those are the games where you're going to start to look and you want to start seeing things click into gear and you mm. want to start seeing uh, a little bit more of what we're going to see when the Premier League kicks off. But yeah, I think your your assessment is pretty accurate. I just the, the caveat I would put to that is I wouldn't worry too much about it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I certainly think for the first two games, Rangers and Hibernian were the games where the boys needed to, you know, regroup and um try and get their fitness back to back to uh, a respectable sort of level um but this game against Watford um I, I noticed a few things and tactically um and actually I noticed it during the Hibernian Rangers game but more so this game um in the system that Arteta was playing and where some where certain players were playing um and also to just counter your argument, sorry, your point, uh, I felt like the players looked a lot more fitter and a lot more sharper. Wouldn't you say so? They they seem to be, I don't know, in, in, some, in some moments of the game, the transition from getting the ball um, from our defensive half to the final third just seems to be, seemed to be a lot more snappier. Yeah, and I think that's partly down to the personnel. It's, it's partly down to, obviously, the work that they've been doing um, on the training ground, we know that kind of progressing the ball into those areas, as you've mentioned, was a bit of a problem last season, wasn't it? And um, mm. I think it's largely why Arsenal have felt the need to go and spend fifty million pound on Ben White, to be honest, to mm. to be able to bring, to be able to take the ball out and, and and sort of move it forward quicker. And then in midfield as well, that was another issue. I mentioned earlier on that I thought Granit Xhaka was really important last season, and I do believe that, but I do think that one of his kind of I don't know if it's a, a fault or if it's just the way he plays the game is that he doesn't really move the ball on quick enough at times. Sometimes he does take one or two touches and you could see somebody like Laconga, for example, who I'm not saying is by any means the, the, the finished article, but the way he just takes the ball on the turn and looks to do things quickly yeah. and is a little bit braver mm-hmm. in the way he plays the ball forward. I think that's what Arsenal have been missing in midfield. And, you know, there, there, there was two options. You either go and get a midfielder that's going to do that or you get someone who's going to provide the base, which Thomas Partey or the platform for Thomas Partey to do that. And mm. that's what Mikel Arteta has got to decide, I think, uh, in the coming weeks, because I think that midfield position is is massive and we yeah. really need to bring someone in there for sure. Yeah, because that's where that's where the magic happens, isn't it? You've got uh, the, the reason why Granit Xhaka was so excellent last season is because he was he was playing the dual role of. Um, trying to make sure that the back four was shored up, sitting in front of them, um, playing that defensive role, but also picking up the ball and getting others involved. Um, and so if Lokonga can can start to pick up that aspect of his game, he's going to be one hell of a player. But one player that really stood out for me, I don't know if you noticed, was um, Eddie Nketiah, 
who I think this is the first time I've seen him play out wide on the left-hand side, but he was an absolute revelation. Scored a fantastic goal. Not only that, I think what really impressed me about him on the left-hand side and what really frustrates what what really frustrates me him in the center is when he picks up the ball. Um, he seems, uh, you know, half a second too slow to make the next move. And so, what's really great about him on the left-hand side is when he picks up the ball the defender in front of him has to either show him down the line or stand and wait for Eddie to move. And so when Eddie takes half a second to move, he allows somebody else to overlap him and allowing, you know, the, the, the attacking transition to just be more effective. Um, how would you rate Eddie's performance? Cause he was, he came on in the second half as well, which I thought was quite surprising considering how uh, many changes we made, but um, Arteta decided to keep him on. Yeah. I think with Eddie, I'm I'm reluctant not to get dragged into this this trap again of looking at him in preseason or or in a Carabao Cup or Europa League and saying, yeah, Eddie is ready. You know, he needs to be playing. I, I think for me, if he's gonna get game time at Arsenal, that's the way it's gonna happen. I don't think he can be trusted necessarily to lead the line through the middle as a number nine. Yeah, yeah, and I think that him for him and Balogun, if they're gonna force their way into reckoning this season then they're going to have to slightly adapt their game to be comfortable playing in that role that you've just described because it is it, it is a way into the team. It's not an ideal route into the side for those players, but it's a route. And so when you're in a place where you're struggling to, to nail a position down, you need to take any route. And Bukayo Saka is a prime example of that, right? Someone who's a, a right winger who got opportunity, but it came at left back, but he had to take that opportunity. He did, he shut up, he got on with it. And now look, you know, he's, he's reaping the rewards for it. So, um, uh, yeah, within Ketia, I'm not, I, I still don't think he has a future at the club. I think it's, yeah. it'll be wise to move him on this summer if if there's anybody out there looking to pick him up. And I think, yes, he scored a, a good goal and he's done that a few times in preseason and some of the more low profile games of, as I've described. But I, I'm, I'm still not sold he's the right man. And equally, as much as I'm not convinced he's the right man, I don't think it's fair to keep him at the club. You know, if he's not going to play, you're stunting the lad's development and he's a good yeah. kid by the looks of it. And I'd like to see him go on and, um, and really, you know, excel. Mm-hmm. Um, a few other players um, that I had my eye on in that game were the two new signings, Lokonga and Tavares. Um, we spoke about them very briefly, but what kind of role do you think they'll play in the upcoming season? Do you think there is... Um, do you think there's a demand if Arsenal don't get in a central midfielder that Lukonga takes that, you know, that's that slot um, next to Partey? Um, I, I think that Lukonga still needs to do more to earn it, obviously. Um, I think that, you know, judging him too sort of too much on games like this is, is dangerous. I think you can get carried away and I think you can, you know, overrate a player who when it mm. comes to the kind of vigors of the Premier League still might be a little bit raw. So for me, I think that that midfield position is key. Arsenal really need to bring someone in. But I've likened the Lakonga signing to the signing of Gwendouzi, where when he was coming in, we all kind of looked at it and went, yeah, this is one for the future. But if he's good enough, if he does show enough, then why not play him? He's not so far off. He's not a million miles away from the first team. And so, you know, it's in his hands if he plays well enough. And I'm sure he'll get his opportunities. Get uh, Ceballos and El Neni, for example, who were kind of our fringe midfielders last season. They got plenty of of minutes uh, over the course of the campaign. So I expect Lukonga will get a fair few as well to show what he can do. Mm. And just moving away from the um, the Watford game, 
um, and the remaining friendlies coming up. One of the most important questions for me and something that most fans will be keeping an eye out for is system um, and the system that Arteta will be playing because I think when he first came, it was a back five, then it was a four, two, three, one. Um, and now during the friendlies, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing um, a solid back four um, with two strikers in the middle. So almost like a four, four, two. Um, what do you think with the signing of Ben White coming in and, you know, the hundreds of other centre-backs we've got at our disposal, what, what kind of system do you think Arteta is, has in his mind um, to start against Brentford? Do you think it might be a back three where we allow our um, wing-backs to bomb forward and um, have, you know, Shaka, whoever is playing in that role, sit a little bit deeper? Or would you would you think the the most preferred system with Ben White coming in? I think it will be the um the the, the four two three one still. I I haven't seen enough in the recruitment yet to suggest that there's a plan to move away from that. And I don't think he should move away from that in my personal opinion. I think it gives us the best balance between attack and defense and it allows you to kind of shape shift in game, um, which I think is really, really important because having that double pivot means that you can sit in front of that back line and uh, protect it. You can also drop one of those players into the back line and allow full backs to get forward and support in wide areas. It also gives whoever's in the number 10 role uh, a bit more freedom to go left, to go right, uh, to get up close to the striker without being worried about what they're leaving behind them. So I think it gives us the most stability whilst giving us the ability to shapeshift into more... um, more attacking shapes as well if if that makes any sense um yeah that's that's what i'm trying to get to basically yeah. it gives us the ability to morph into different shapes in game depending mm. on the game state and i think that's really important because he's a great uh ball playing center back isn't he so um that helps with playing out from the back <laughs> and actually we saw some problems uh with that um playing out from the back system against watford didn't we we was it the the goal we yeah. conceded was from it wasn't it wasn't from the goal kick, but we were trying to play in and around ourselves at the back, and then you know stupidly losing it, um, and then conceding from that. Um, uh, where do you think we are with playing out from the back? Because this is this is something that Arteta has been quite stubborn on. Uh, he doesn't want to change the fact that we want to play from the back. We want to progress from the back to the final third teams obviously know we want to play that style of football so they're going to be pressing more when uh leno has the ball um when he's you know kicks when he's when he wants to kick out for a goal kick um do you think the boys have finally perfected this playing out from the back and also is it a case that we're always going to see this because i remember last season i don't know who it was against but the number of errors that we were making from playing out from the back were just ridiculous. And it got to a point where our te- uh, press conference was just saying, well, the boys need to know when to play from the back and when not to, because it's not every single time that you need to play out from the back and you need to pass it in and around. Sometimes you can go long. Um, so how, how, how much of this playing out from the back do you think we will see next season? And do you, do you think we're at a point now where we can almost, you know, execute it like City have? Or am I jumping the gun? I think you're jumping the gun a little <laughs> yeah. bit. Um, I, I think we, I think we're gonna see lots of it because it's Mikel Arteta's preferred playing style, and I think I, I see the benefits to it. I understand why they do it. It is about drawing the opponent out, trying to create spaces in behind. And I think when you're a team who 
um, quite often will come up against opponents who park the bus. I think it's quite important to have that in your skill set. The only thing I would say is that, yes, you're right. You know, we, we do need to know when to do it and when not to do it. And I still don't think we're quite where we need to be in terms of the decision-making around all of that. But um, the other thing is, is as fans, I think we've got to acknowledge that this is a style of play that will lead to errors, right? To think that you can play out from the back as frequently as Mikel Arteta wants us to without it ever going wrong and blowing up in your face is incredibly naive. It will happen. And it's important that when we overreact, as we tend to do, uh, when things go wrong, we have to um, we have to be mindful of the benefits that it brings and we have to weigh it up and, and judge it fairly. So if you see, you know, some of the goals that we scored last season came off the back of us doing that, drawing opponents on, creating space in behind. And so you have to weigh up against the benefits rather than just look at the negatives all the time because there are benefits to playing that way for sure. Mm. And and look, all the top coaches in the world at the moment are playing that way. So there must be something, uh, something in it, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, 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 I totally agree with that. Um, and, and yeah, you made the point that, you know, we need the right players. We need uh, players with real intelligence. Um, I'm hoping that Ben White's going to be one. I mean, we're paying 50 mil for him, so he better be. Uh, but aside from Ben White, Lacongo and Tavares, I'm hoping there'll be a few more signings that Arsenal bring in. Who do you think or what positions do you think are the priority that Arsenal needs to address? Uh, priority for me is definitely the centre of midfield. I think after that, you've got to look at the goalkeeping situation because beyond Bern Leno, we're incredibly short there. Uh, after that, I would start to look at probably the number 10. Um, so I think those three will be the main ones for me. I think right back is a position that we, you know, a lot of people want to see us strengthening, but if that one had to be kicked down the road a little bit because of the fact that we've got Cedric and Chambers there and yeah. Bellerin still and Maitland-Niles even at the club mm-hmm. at the moment, I think I'd put that one on a bit of a back burner. But in order of priority for me, it's centre midfield, goalkeeper, and then number 10. I'm going to throw one out, um, an interesting one, maybe a controversial one. But my, and I've been saying this for the whole season, actually, I think my my priority signing would be a number nine. Um, and the reason why I say this is because I don't think Lacazette and Aubameyang are going to provide us with 20 plus goals. Um, or even 15. And I know that's harsh, but from what I've seen and from the trajectory that they're on, both approaching the latter stages of their careers, both look to lack the motivation to score 20 goals. And actually, the 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 amount that we're generating in the final third is great. I don't think there's a problem with Arsenal playing the football that's needed to create opportunities. I think last season we were creating amples of opportunities in games, but where the problem was for me was the number nine, whether it be Aubameyang or Lacazette, not getting in, in the right areas. Um, so for example, when we're flinging in 20 crosses into the box, no desire from any of them to be in the right place at the right time. And whilst we're progressing the attacking play, it's, having you know either Bamiang not getting involved um or not 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 playing deep with the attacking midfielder or Lacazette too much involved and not having that strike striker's instinct to get into box to, to get in the box. Um what do you think about that? I think we could do with a new striker. I think it's certainly something that 
we will need to do and need to address at some point. I just, I I disagree in the sense that I do think Aubameyang and Lacazette are capable of getting you 15 goals each okay. over the course of the season. I, Lacazette did about 17 last season. I think Aubameyang got 15 in what was supposedly his worst season ever. So I think that they will score goals if the opportunities are there. I think where Arsenal's big problem is, because I don't think it's, it's you know, I think it's quite a respectable tally that both of them brought in. I think the problem was we couldn't score goals from anywhere else. You know, after them two, Nicola Pepe was the next in line with about mm. 12. And then after that, there was a, a serious drop-off. I think Emil Smith-Rowe maybe got four over the course of the season. Bukayo Saka probably got seven or eight. It just wasn't good enough in the rest of the team. The midfield contributed zero. Mm. Um, you know, or very few. I think I can remember Granit Xhaka scoring one. Uh, Thomas Partey didn't score. Um, you know, and, and that was the big issue for me uh, with Arsenal. I think we need to create more chances. I think we need to get players in the right positions. And I think I've seen some positives in pre-season in terms of Arsenal looking to get more players in the penalty area. And it's something I've spotted and I hope that they they continue to do uh, when, the, uh, when the season kicks off because I think it's really, really important. What about um, Martinelli? We haven't spoken. Of, I mean, I don't think any, anyone's spoken about him much because obviously he's, um, he's with Brazil at the minute. But um, with some with someone like Martinelli, what do you do with him? Do you do you try and push him into the number nine role or do you allow him to fully develop as a winger? Because, uh, you know, towards the back end of last season, uh, there was this massive debate of what we do with, with someone like Martinelli. You know, he's a fantastic young and upcoming player, a great bright talent. Um, but from, from, from where I stand, I see someone who is, who has bags of potential, but isn't a finished product. And so it will be stupid to put him as a number nine when he hasn't fully yet um, grasped the role as a winger. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that Martinelli has been, well, I know he's been quoted as saying on a number of occasions that he prefers to play from a wide position as well. And I think you have to take that into account. I think players are so much happier and more likely to succeed in something that they, you know, they want to do. And I think that's really important to not kind of take that out of his, out of his hands and out of his kind of control completely. Um, I think he'll play a, a bigger role next season. I still don't think he'll be a starter and I don't think he should be. Um, I think he's, he's still behind probably, uh, Bukayo Saka and Nicola Pepe in terms of the the wide positions, and uh, yeah, look, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing more of him. He's a player I really like. I love his enthusiasm. I love his attitude. I love everything about him. Uh, but I do think that last season, at times as a fan base, people went a bit OTT on the fact that he wasn't playing, and 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 that needs to just chill out for me. You know, it's um, yeah, it's just over the top. It, it's it, he's a young player. He's developing. Remember, he came back from a really bad and yeah. severe injury as well mm. so it was always going to take a bit of time and I think he ended the season quite strongly so I'm confident he can have a good campaign this time yeah look um you know I know you need to be somewhere at seven and it's already um, five past so um, I'm gonna let you go um I think uh, this upcoming season is going to be fascinating it's going to be so interesting to see what transpires because you've got a manager who's had a full season um who is now I guess at a place where you this group of players, you could, to some extent, say that this is his squad. Um, he's had enough time to develop his style, and it's the it's the first season that we're not going to see in the European football. So full concentration is going to be um, in the league with Brentford um, on Friday the thirteenth. 
<laughs> what a day to yeah. start the season. Um, and then Chelsea and then City, you know, it's going to come in thick and fast. And, um, you know, I'm really, really looking forward to it. Uh, Harry, thank you very much for, you know, joining and for t- giving up your time for us. Um, it's been great having you here and um, hopefully we can have you again. Yeah, for sure, mate. Just let me know. No problem. It's been my pleasure. It's been a great chat. Thank you. Brilliant. All right. That's Harry Simiu. You can find Harry on Twitter. Um, so that's Harry Simiu. Simiu spelled S-Y-M-E-O-U. Check out his YouTube channel as well. Um, and I forgot to mention this at the beginning, but James wasn't he wasn't he wasn't able to come on the show because he's got a sore throat, but he's been involved in some amazing work um in the past few weeks. Um, and he's 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 wanted me to read a little message. Um, to the listeners. So he says that I know I'm not present for this week's episode, but I'd like to say a massive thank you for all the kind words and support surrounding my video today. I really hope it can inspire many people with disabilities and without. Um, I'll touch on this more when I come back next week. Until then, come on, you gunners. So for those of you that don't know, James suffers from cerebral uh, palsy. And, you know, he's he's been absolutely incredible with um, how open he's been and with the work that he's been doing i, I don't want to you know go going on about it now i think i'll leave it for james to talk about it next week but um yeah some really good stuff if you guys want to uh check it out the video that he's been doing you can find him on twitter as well at james Payne afc and you can find me on twitter at gunner since 96 so um yeah let me know what you thought of this episode and we will see you next week at the same time at the same place and until then take care of yourselves thank you very much bye-bye Oh,